Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent, where we explore different areas of the construction industry to shed light on what life is like in companies across the field to help you build your career to your own specification. This episode of the Construction Career Podcast is brought to you by Wilson and Hampton Painting Contractors. Wilson and Hampton has been the premier painting contractor in Southern California since 1923. From concurrent projects at LAX and the historical restoration of the Salk Institute to decorative painting and gold leafing in LDS temples around the world. Whether working in the field or in-house refinishing shop, Wilson and Hampton can provide you with the quality and experience needed to make your next project a success. Hey everybody, it's Kent. Cliff and I need to ask a favor of you, our listeners. Please vote for us in the Construction Junkie 2018 Best Construction Podcast Competition. You can find a link on our website, constructioncareerpodcast.com, or just Google Construction Junkie 2018 Best Construction Podcast. Vote now because voting closes Friday, May 4th. Thanks, everybody. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent. Today we've got kind of an impromptu episode going on. We brought Ryan Dane in from Westland Construction. He's actually on vacation with his family, and we suckered him in to come over and talk to us. And we got Cliff that just got back from the uh, Porsche Pan-Oregonian, I guess. Huh? <laughs> so how was the trip, Cliff? The trip was great. We went to the Columbia River and back. Well, what was the point? It was point of... No, we couldn't go to Cape Flattery, which is the northernmost point in the continuous United Northwest States. Northwestmost point or something. Yes. Like. But you just it's like on the tip not? of the Olympic Peninsula in Washington. But it was too far, so we cut it off at, at uh, Astoria and went across the Columbia River. And we were going to go to Cape Disappointment, which is like the Washington side of the Columbia but it was just foggy and rainy and we said well if we go out there we're not going to see anything bad times well i'm glad it was you know turned out okay you had a good trip nobody got any tickets no tickets that's the best part radar detection so just so you know cliff drives a carrera s 911 yes. carrera s yes. and he likes to drive fast but uh you know he'll do these trips once a year where he tries to to spend a week and not get any tickets and i don't think we ever went over 115. That's a first. Yeah, we were kind of slow. Last week, last year they went to Utah. Mm, so yeah. they were like Utah, Colorado, out through Moab. So they, they hit high speeds on occasion, I guess. Well, so Ryan, Good. let's talk a little bit about you. You currently work for Westland Construction? I do, yep. And how long have you been with them? Since 96, so 22 years. 22 years. And Westland's out of Salt Lake, Provo? We're, we're based out of Orem, which is south of Salt Lake, about an hour. Okay. So, all right. Now, how's Northern Utah for construction right now? Is it not bumping? It's, it's crazy. Yep. They're saying it's like the new Silicon Valley. It know? is. A lot of people are going in. Amazon's got a big thing going in there. They, they've got a lot going on. We're on a high school right now. This high school, we're trying to get HVAC installers, and the unions are paying them two dollars over. Just to even come. Just to to come and, and work out at uh, I think it's out at Adobe. I was reading this morning about one of the tech companies that had moved to Salt Lake because they could get qualified people at lower wages in the Silicon Valley and people could live could afford to live there comfortably yeah yeah so yeah cost of, cost of living still sort of low you know, it's not like it, it is down here comparatively Compared, speaking yep. yeah but you don't make the wages that you do in some other parts of the country that's right what where did you go to school I went to BYU. You did? Graduated? What did you graduate in? I didn't graduate. Oh, well, that's I, okay. I, I just went. So I studied construction management. I, I got about halfway done, and then life happened and had kids and went to work full-time to pay for them. So. I, I can understand that. When Is that where you started with Wesson? I went to BYU in 91 to 92, okay. and, and then I went on an LDS mission. So, And then I didn't go. I only went to one semester after my mission, but, but I started with with Westland in 96. Okay. So where, where'd you go on your mission? To Austria. Vienna, oh. Austria. Did, uh, what'd you think of that? You thought the girls were beautiful. No? Not, not in Austria. Really? No. You get further north? You, you got, yeah. You gotta get up to Sweden. No, right there. <laughs> <laughs> it is a beautiful place. It was... An interesting experience, it, if nothing Interesting else. experience, yep. I served my mission in Ecuador, South America. So it was, uh, a lot of fun, I guess you could say, but it is a, it's its own ball game. Have you worked in construction before you went into construction management? Yeah, I guess a little bit. My 
my dad's an architect. Okay. He's licensed in the state of Utah. And that was my high school job. I was his draftsman. Okay. So that was back before AutoCAD. You have to do everything by hand and with a parallel bar and your triangle and French curves. But anyway, I was a draftsman for him. And in, I, I guess guess it would have been as I graduated the summer I graduated I I drew a house for a guy her dad did I was a draftsman and then I got hired by the general and I went and built the same house that I'd drawn okay so it was kind of fun that's that kind of gave me the bug for construction that's how I got into it and that was a real learning experience wasn't it uh, drawing it and building it yeah it was fun <laughs> it was interesting you start to realize if you can rebuild it if you can build it or if you do it the way that it makes the most sense yeah. to build it right yeah, I, th I think about that often when I cuss out the architects for what they've drawn, how they've drawn it. They, well, the one that always that always affects us is it's like they never think about how they're going to maintain the building, right? So they'll build it, and it's this feat to get it built, and it looks great. But then it's like, well, how are you going to go up and either like change that light bulb even, you know, or or paint around that area that there's no access to now because you could bring a lift in when there wasn't a mezzanine, you know, a big mezzanine floor or something that has this weight limit now and now you've got to figure out how you're going to get up there and do it so and it's it is what it is I, I think definitely would help if you had some real life experience to to pit that against right out of college well when you decided that you know you had kids and decided you needed to work to make a living well who did you what did you go into it was always pretty just pretty good with my hands so i, I went into carpentry i was a carpenter when i went into the industry and and I did a few odds and ends jobs, and then I and then I went in first first big project I ever did was with Westland. First first real employment that I ever had was with Westland. So you know it had been it was a good match, so I just stuck with them. But that's started in the industry in carpentry. Okay, so you got you know that you can lean back on. Mm -hmm. You have an idea how wood's supposed to go together. Yeah, how to drive a nail. <laughs> that's about it. Everything's so automated now. I don't think I could do it anymore. But did you start with Westland just as a superintendent, or how? Did, where did you start? I, I started as a framer, okay. and I I framed a couple projects for them for about six months. I was framing, and then they moved me in as a superintendent. That's more or less where I've been ever since. So from about '97 on, okay, I've been a superintendent for them. What? Uh, you they think? thought you could drive jobs better than nails? Uh, evidently. <laughs> Well, that's okay. Does Weston perform self perform a lot? No, not not much. We, we carry a couple carpenters and and laborers essentially, but we don't self perform anything to speak of. Very few generals self perform much. Not anymore. Not no. anymore. They're just running things, managing every all their subs. Occasionally, we'll run into a general like Hansel Phelps told us they were placing concrete at LAX. I was like, yeah. you what? <laughs> Wow. We, we just hired a superintendent working on a high school for us. He came from a company, and they self-performed everything, which was just the other the other extreme. So they'd have, at any time, they'd have about 60 to 70 of their own employees, from concrete finishers, concrete carpenters, to steel erectors, welders, pipe fitters. And they'd do the whole thing. They, they'd self-perform everything. So. And, and the guys did multiple things, every guy probably. Well... That's what I would have thought, but that wasn't the case. They needed to keep enough workload going to keep all these special tradesmen wow. busy. There, there was some overlap in a few guys, but for the most part, they were specific to their trade, especially when you get into welders and the pipe fitters. What size of scope are they working on? Like high schools, uh, high schools, high schools as a whole. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so he's he's running project for us, and it's it's a little. Uh, mind-boggling to him that he's got to rely on a subcontractor to do this work he can't cuss out his own guys he's, he's got to keep good with the subs and yeah he, he doesn't control the budget or the the manpower he can't bark and, and get guys when he wants is that the issue you guys are running into right now i mean you're saying like the just getting people even show up to the job i guess because everything's so busy up there it's it's hard uh-huh so um well we talk about that and you know you hear about that in the industry it's like manpower We've got this manpower shortage that's looming, and we're already starting to see some of that. And the last guy we talked to, he said, you know, it's evident in the subs is where you're really starting to see that the quality of craftsmen and the amount of craftsmen that they need is what they're struggling for. Mm -hmm. So is that, I mean, you're experiencing that in northern Utah. 
because everybody wants to be. Oh, of course, the journals are experiencing that because they don't have anybody working for them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Except for the they, don't, they don't have any specialized craftspeople, so it's the subs that are running into the problems. Yeah, it's it is. It's the subcontractors. We we run into it. We can't find enough superintendents. We'd hire ten more today if we could find qualified ones. Quality superintendents. The, the problem is, if the guy's out there looking for work, there's usually a reason. Yeah, that's. And it's usually not a good reason. Yeah, you run into. We've hired some lately that we've run into that, and it's it's hard to find a qualified guy that does what he thinks he can do, or can do what he thinks he can do. <laughs> does what he says he can do. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, well, Westland has Westland grown since you started? Yeah. So first job I did was a, a chapel, an LDS chapel. It was about two million. Okay. Uh, two point two million, and that was that that about tripled our workload for that particular year. At the time, that was a big portion of it. Huh? it well, well, it was. The next biggest project was about three hundred thousand, and we only had a couple of those even going. Now, so that was in in ninety seven. So, I mean, now we've got we'll do about two hundred fifty million this year. So in twenty years, it's went from a couple million dollars to several hundred million. So yeah, it's grown quite they've, a bit. They've grown a lot. Is that was that a hard thing? I mean, was that a hard for people that are you know they have a company and they're looking at potentially they're going to grow like what were some of the big hurdles you had to overcome to get to that size one of the biggest ones for us was was keeping up with the the, the market and the cutting edge the technology in the market we've, we've actually i mean one thing some of the things we've done is actually led led that edge in the market in some of the the things we do some of the customers we work for now that we do a thing called units in place measurements and i, I think you were part of that on Maybe you didn't see it in Denver, but we're able to take take a project and we know how many units any particular person has and we measure it as they go. And and we can help them see if you keep going at this rate, you're not going to make it. In three weeks, in, you might be in done. In three weeks. You need and, to be done in two weeks. And and most of the guys, we, we butted head with most subcontractors. They didn't like us monitoring things that close and, and watching it. But almost without fail, everyone that we we work with them on it they like it um masons especially they'll come back run back to us they'll say how many blocks did we do this week and are we on schedule to make it you know because we we measure we have a project engineer that'll measure that every day put it into the software that we've built but but uh but it's in-house software it's not something that's commercially available correct so it's it shocks me that a mason and you're probably talking about guys that are putting cmu up right correct that they're not keeping track of how many blocks they're setting in the day and this is like they turn to the general like are we doing okay are we doing okay fool <laughs> it's yeah. your business you don't know what you estimated you don't know what your goals are every day for us our work is so broken up in a sense i used to do an industrial work and we would Blast and prime, blast and prime, blast and prime. And then you knew where you were going every day. It's like you knew you had to do this much, especially like on a tank. You had to do this much of the tank, then this much of the tank. And at the end of, you know, five days, that that roof had better be done or you're in trouble. But with architectural painting, it's just like, oh, you're painting this room over here and painting that room over there. And you can't get into this room because the trim guys, you know, the... The, the carpenters haven't got the wood figured out because the architect hasn't decided on the detail that's going to go on ceiling. And, oh, and, and there's a piece of chipboard missing because the electrician's got to do something, you know, and, and the finishers, I don't understand what's going on with finishers. It's like the they're car- always waiting on finishers. Carpenters. Carpenters, right? Just how it works. I would say you could give us some insight on that, but I think it just always comes back to, you know, if somebody delays... It just, you've experienced it all the way down the pipeline. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, you do. Talking a little bit more about Westland, I mean, you know, you guys do a lot of work, you know, on LDS structures. In fact, that's where I've worked with Ryan uh, in the past a couple of times. Denver, we just did a project in Denver, and then we had been in Chicago last year uh, on a big project there. So you're getting ready to move to New Zealand to work on moving to building Z- over there. New Zealand for three years. So what do you think about... Uh, travel. I mean, you've done that a couple times for Westland. Is that something that uh, you enjoy? How, how do you make that work? 
Is it better if you're single? Is it? It's it's rough on a family. Um, I, I enjoy it because I enjoy the customer I work for. Mm -hmm. the, the church is a hard customer to have, but I enjoy working on the temples. That makes it makes it easier to leave somewhere for me. Um, it's kind of a personal thing, but no, it's rough on a family. I, I was in I was in Africa for three years working there, and and it was it wasn't safe to have a family, so I take the kids over and my wife over in the summer and you know reintroduce them to myself and get reacquainted and send them back home but it wasn't safe enough for them to move there. So How old are your kids? I've got one that's 21, one that's 18, 14 year old and then a, a new addition from Africa. We adopted a boy there who's six, five, five or six, somewhere about. We don't know how old he is. He's about that tall. <laughs> He doesn't even know what his birthday but, was, right? You know, that must... Did the 21-year-old come over? He came over and actually worked with me for about six months, so that, that was nice. He got to work with Dad long enough to decide he missed his girlfriend and he hated construction, so he he got out of there in a hurry. Yeah, but, I mean, six months in Africa, that's like an experience. Oh, yeah. And Are you going to take the family to New Zealand? Yeah, so New Zealand's different. I, I actually got sick in Africa, and... I can't imagine. I, I, I had a seizure. They didn't know what happened. So basically after a lot of tests back here when I got home, they said, well, did you have any extra stress? Because that'll shut your body down. I was like, well, yeah. yeah. So otherwise I was happy. I was in Africa trying to build something. Do I have any stress? So, and, and being away from the family caused a lot of the stress. So I'm going to take them with to New Zealand. We'll be there for somewhere between two to three years, depending on what the scope finally ends up being. Two, three. Well, the 14-year-old, like, that should be just amazing. Yeah. He'll resist it at first, probably. He's actually really open to it. My my 18-year-old, who can't know, her name's Peyton, she's uh, on the fence being excited. She wants to go to New Zealand, but she... All of her friends are back home. All of her friends are home, and home. she's kind of starting to like boys a little bit. Yeah, get her into trouble. Oh, she can have an international friends, you know. That's, there you go. One of my friends told me, he goes, you know, Cliff, you have friends all over the country because that's a that's a real asset you know <laughs> it's nice to be able to call somebody up that you know wherever you've been or whatever you've if you go to disneyland call call one of your buddies down in southern california yeah. <laughs> try, try to get you you know see if they can't get you into the park or or feed you dinner or something one of those things let's talk a little bit about like some of the headache that's involved in working overseas i mean you know there's a lot of big companies that'll do things like this is there added strain beyond like you know, if you were to do the job in America versus do the job overseas, like say Africa, you know what are some of the headaches that you experienced over there? That, I, I don't even know where to start. They're they're all over. But I mean, the first one we had my particular city in Kinshasa. There was there was about thirteen million people, mm -hmm. and they didn't have anything at all that was organized or uh, anything. That there wasn't a there wasn't a supply house. There wasn't a paint store. There wasn't yeah, a Home Depot. There's no Home Depot. There's no lumberyard. If no you had find something that was the right the right product, we did find some some Hilti products one day, and we went back the next day, and, and they've moved. They're in a whole other part of town, and they don't have addresses, so you can't say where'd you move. Somebody'd say, I think they went over there down that road at the end. If you turn left, go two blocks next to the tree. <clears> turn so. That was a challenge in Africa, but then once we finally got that that hurdle, you know, behind us, and, and we figured out where to source stuff, and most of it came out of Belgium, then you had to get the owner to buy into it. That, be, you know, if it wasn't a CPVC was one thing we had a big problem with. They don't make CPV, CPVC; it's a resistant to ultraviolet light. Uh -huh. They don't make it, and they don't sell it. They don't uh, distribute it. it we, we actually flew down to Johannesburg to try to find it. It doesn't exist. So, I mean, that was one little example of what happened all the time. Were they used copper instead? Uh, well, th there's other products. I mean, there's PVC, but this one that said C in front of it is a oh. for, for the chemicals in the font, and they didn't make it. So, well, we found something that would work, but they didn't understand that we could substitute. One for the other. Well, you don't want to substitute. Right, that, that's a big thing. You don't want to do a substitution. It's an equal. So th that was a challenge, and then, and then the manpower, the skill set of the people there, was. Well, wasn't it? I think you were telling me that Wesley, you guys were like training, concrete guys. So we we went there about a year early, and we, 
we built a couple of chapels and we used those to as a training platform along with the church they had a program they were training kids and we'd train them teach them how to do basics and then you know now we had a pretty good crew once the temple finally started of guys that understood a few things but another example of how they think in Africa so everything is masonry block walls mm-hmm. so they want to get in there and get it done so they go in and build a block wall and then they stand back and look at it and and then bring the plans out and say okay there needs to be an outlet there and a switch there so they take their hammer and they chip out a, a, hole. a, a channel and it and run the conduit in the wall after it's built. And I explained the concept of, well, let's put that stuff in the wall and conduit. They didn't get it, they they fought with me, but when they finally figured it out, now when the wall's done, your electrical's installed. Like I mean, magic. <laughs> magic, it's back to levels of, you know, kindergarten. But but that's, those were challenges, and, and they were actually, they were real, and, and the, the paint, they'd bring out just as powder for paint and mix, it. mix water in it and if the water was dirty it would be a different color of paint than if it was clean water and you know stuff like that the amount of powder that got mixed and, and this is a city of 13 million 13 million people it had an infrastructure for about for about 2 million so you can see there if you didn't have a backup generator you didn't have power very often you didn't have running water if you did have running water you could shower in it if you kept your mouth closed Right. So you don't get sick. Don't get it in your eyes. Don't get it in your mouth. Um, anywhere in your body. And a challenge. And then fecalized. Fecalized. There you go. What's uh, this was? I mean, because you were over there a couple years ago, right? It hasn't been that long ago. No, two, two years ago. Right. So you were still you were still there two years ago. Yes. So you know you run into these kind of situations in some of these places that you're going. Hopefully, New Zealand's a little. No, it should be. Fine. I I cannot get over the idea that the architectural firm did not have a partner there. I mean, national and international firms, when they build something in Los Angeles, if they're from New York, they have a local architect they're working with. Well, so this probably would have been unique to Africa. So that's normally how the church works. They have that guy. Okay. We have that in New Zealand. We have the local firm on the ground that's right in the specs, but there just was not that person in Kinshasa. That, that was skilled enough to be of any value. There was, they, they did hire a consultant there that helped grease the wheels and get things through permitting. But all permitting was is just to pay a fee. Pay off. How much, yeah, how much money can you pay to get approved? Because they wouldn't ever come inspect anything. They didn't have any standards they were looking for. It's just, you know, pay the money and, and put a sign up that, that <laughs> says you're doing a job. You, know, you were the one that was telling me, what was the, how did they do the compaction on the, uh, the dirt? Was it the bottle jack? Yeah. And it, you know, it, it was a real technology, but it was just old and outdated. But they just had a, a pad about a, a 60 inch diameter, maybe 48 inch diameter pad, like you'd see on the foot of a crane. They put it down and drove a truck over it and put a bottle jack under it, lifted that truck up and read the, the scale. Once it got so much weight on the bottle jack, then they looked at how much it depressed that 48 inch diameter circle into the soils. And that's how they did their density they testing their for soils. Density testing for soils. It worked. No, it worked. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it's old technology, but it was what they had available. Yeah, they, they made it work. So. We, we had to make, they didn't have block plants. Everybody made block on the side of the road, and we wanted to have a little more control. So we actually bought a block plant, shipped it over there. We purchased it in Florida, shipped it out there, and... We made made all the block first, and then we placed it all in the temple. So we, we built all of our masonry before we actually installed it. Did, did you build it to spec, I guess would be the question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That makes Westland an extremely competent general contractor. To overcome that kind of stuff, that's expertise that I think doesn't exist in a lot of construction firms. Well, we'd, we'd like to think that. I, I mean, we're we're pretty good at overcoming challenges, and that was, say, the least challenge. And and yeah, there was there was all kinds of things to overcome. I mean, some of the block we'd make over there, we'd use materials we knew we could get. Then we'd bring a sample home, and actually test it and break it, 
back here in the United States, put it in our suitcase, our luggage. I mean, I, several times I brought bricks home to break, see how they performed. They did have a, a college there that says they could test it in a laboratory that could break the block, but we did never trust it. So, yeah, we got very creative. Well, and that's, that's one of the interesting things, and we talk about this. So Wilson Hampton does work for the LDS Church. Uh, we, uh, I, I go out on occasion and will and do work painting or doing whatever, and it's, it's a wonderful place to do, especially you know being a member of the church, there's that added benefit of this is something that I want to do. But some of the nightmares that you deal with, on especially things like schedule, mm-hmm. because they'll have a schedule where it's like you have two weeks and you have to go in and do all of this work, and you're not the only person that's going to be in there. And so now you've got to figure out, A, can I find guys that can go? Because you only have a limited number of guys that you can even draw from in some instances that would be able to go to do that kind of work. And the finishes that are required are like top-notch. I mean, some of the best in the world. And uh, it's just, it, people always think, oh, that's really cool. You get to go down, you get to do these things, and, and you get to see the world, you get to do all of this stuff. And it's like, you realize, like, when I get, we just did Columbia, not couple months ago it's like when I get to Bogota we're gonna work six days a week we're gonna work minimum 10 hour days just so we can get everything done in this two-week period and I can't just go out and buy adhesive for the wallpaper because we had to ship all that down ahead of time they don't have a paint store like you'd have here and just on our scope alone it's like a nightmare great experience you go down you do some of these amazing things and you get it done but it's it is not an easy feat and having to be able to overcome that kind of random stuff that you run into, you don't you don't get that in a lot of other fields, I guess, or in a lot of other a lot of other jobs. I'm I'm, how do they estimate the cost of having to ship over a block plant? Time of material. <laughs> it's it's challenging. Holy cow. Yeah. A lot of that, it is a negotiated project where there's a lot of unforeseens, and we'll give some, uh, this was a, a not-to-exceed price um, at GMP. So if we didn't use the money, we gave it back, and, and if it took us more, they shared the cost with us. So that that's about the only way you could get into a project like that. I would think so. It's just the, otherwise, the risk would be so huge. Well, speaking about overcoming those things and that kind of issue, Ryan, the story I like to tell about Ryan just recently was I was working with him in Denver, and uh, we had this Columbia job that had come along, and Denver had been delayed due to whatever the finishers before us, and uh, we got in there, we had a week to get things done, we, we knocked it out as quickly as we could, and I have all these guys that I'm getting ready to fly to Columbia, and we get to the airport and come to find out that the luggage, the box that we had built for the wallpaper machine was too heavy to fly. It was over by 30 pounds or whatever. And so, not knowing what to do, I sent everybody on ahead, and the three guys that were with me, none of them spoke Spanish, and they're going to go to Colombia and have to land and find somebody. There was a guy down there that spoke Portuguese and English ahead of time, so he would be waiting for him. But I, I ended up having to call Ryan back and say, hey, Ryan, here's my superintendent. I need a favor. Can you come out to the airport and pick me up and take me to Home Depot so that we can redo this? And so he sent one of his guys out and did that. And it was very appreciative for both of us, uh, for Wilson and Hampton, I should say, Ryan. But uh, it's great that you can have a relationship like that with the superintendent and with the company. So um, those are the guys you want to work for. You know, Wesleyan's grown a lot since I've been with them, and that is, they, they attract that type of personality, a guy that's going to work with the subs, but they also demand it out of us as well. Before Stan was a general contractor, he was a subcontractor in plastering and, and tile, and he knew he knew that side of the fence. He's so been, he'd been a sub. He worked for general. When he decided to go into general contracting, that was one of the things high on his priority list is treat my subcontractors fair. And it's a model that's worked. And I tell guys I'm no... I'm no better than my worst performing subcontractor, and I don't look any better than that that sub to the owner. When I try to sell a building, if the paint looks like crap, it looks bad on me. If that's true. That's that's that's. It's obvious when it's stated, 
But most people don't realize that. You don't look any better than your worst sub. I don't. And, and we understand that. And we, we try to build relationships, and, and it's worked. There, there are a lot of subs that bid exclusively to us. Um, we're talking about manpower shortage in, in the Salt Lake market right now because that's where, where we do a lot of our work. There is a shortage, but we're the last job to get shorted. I right. guess put, put it that way because we have good relationships with the subs. We, we treat them fair. And that doesn't mean we let them walk over, w- walk over us and do what they want. They've got to perform and, and meet a spec and meet a standard and schedule and, and a budget, everything else that's required. But you can still work with guys and be demanding of them. How many employees does Westland have now? We've got about 100, 150. And you got two offices? We, we, just, we opened our third. We've got one in St. George and one in... Salt Lake or, or Orem, sorry. Right. And then uh, we opened one in Canada. We've got a lot of work going in Canada, so we started a, an office up there. Okay. Where up in Canada? I, I'm not sure the name of the city. Todd, Todd's got it started up there. Um, Todd and Stan, these are two of the owners of the company um, that we've dealt with. And that's, that's also an interesting dynamic. You look at a company the size of Westland, really, from Ryan, who's the superintendent, to the owner, there's really not a step. I mean, it's like that's the next step for the most part. Yeah. And that's not something you see on a lot of these big, you know, we're, we just had W.E. O'Neill in here. Uh, Randy from W.E. O'Neill, and he talked about how he's the project manager, and then right above him, you've got a senior project, project executive. Project oh, yeah, they're going to make him a senior, project and then a project executive, and then. How many steps until you get up there? And you probably would never run into the owner. But uh, I've met Stan on one of the jobs we were at. I mean, he just came out and saw it. And so that's not something that you experience on a lot of these bigger companies. Now, you guys are not a small company. You know, you're doing a lot of work. And in Utah, what have you got? You've got Jacobson, Layton, uh, some of the big boys, Big D. Big D. They're the ones that just got in trouble for $1.5 million. Big, they had a guy. They, they It's a big story. You can read about it on the Internet. But uh, So now think about one of the general contractors that we work for that has 50 employees on one job. And I guarantee you that those 50 employees are not generating the income per employee that Westland is generating per employee. Right. So that means they're efficient and they're resourceful. And yeah, I would say that's likely true. The the growth continues and uh, you continue to do better and better. The the company, the, the structure, the ownership of the company, it's an ESOP, which it's a stock owned company. Um, I, I just, for me, I, I, I think I genuinely, genuinely want to do what's right and what's the best for the company and the project. Isn't that what Q it is? Yeah, Hensel, I think Hensel Phelps is employee-owned. Right. There's a lot of them. That, there's a lot of general contractors that are employee-owned, but I think that there's a culture or sort of a strategy that the people at Westland have really bought into that strategy and that that idea that we're no better than our worst performing sub. Uh-huh. Probably every guy there believes it, realizes it, internalizes it, and makes sure that they have good subs and they support their subs and they, they try to assist their sub in doing really good work, which makes the job really good. Whereas that's harder when you have bigger bigger you know organizations and it's that's the key to like getting the people to buy in and internalizing those basic strategies this is the way we're going to go about getting our work done do we do what we say we're going to do yeah that's the core strategy but uh it's 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 just interesting one of the things we look at especially having worked with some of these bigger guys and a lot of guys it's uh you'd start to see these companies that you like to work for. Now, you know, I've only worked with Westland under Ryan. I've got the opportunity, I think, this summer to work with a couple other guys, so we'll see how well that goes. But uh, I, I look forward to it. I mean, we have kind of this relationship, and it's been a good relationship, and, and hopefully it can continue. From here, Ryan, I mean, you're the superintendent. Any plans to move up? Is there anywhere to move up to? I mean, I hit the ceiling because you got the owners above you, or what's the story? I've worn all the different hats from project manager to a project engineer scheduler 
um, anywhere in between. Most projects that they put me on, I'll be the project manager, the project superintendent. You know, you talked about your efficiencies. We, if we're able to, to wear a couple of hats, we, we do. And it, that depends on the project as well. So as far as moving up, I, 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 I'm, I moved up. <laughs> I'm comfortable where I'm at. Well, that's, it's, again, like I talk, we talk about this. It's a smaller company. You wear a lot of hats. Yep. And that's kind of a cool thing. It's, you're not pigeonholed into just being an estimator or being the project manager or just being one thing or another. Yeah. And so you get the opportunity to do that. Now, you've grown. It wasn't sounds like it's grown exponentially since you've started. Oh, but yeah. that's a good thing. You've grown with it. You've seen kind of what it takes. So you can step in and fill in a position that's needed. And, and it doesn't matter where it is on the list of the hierarchy. We talked a little bit about techno technology. You, know, you guys are doing this where you track the units, the men, unit of measure, or what? Units in place. Units in place. Um, is there anything else that, that you guys do that's impressive? It's software-wise, we use Bluebeam software. I think okay. you guys do as well. It, sometimes it depends on who's who's running what. But yeah, we've got Bluebeam. That's that's a tool that we like to use. That's been really convenient. It's been fairly easy for most of our guys in the field to learn the superintendents. Um, and we use it, make sure everybody in the, that's running a project, actually, I don't think there's anybody, maybe except accounting, that, doesn't, that doesn't know how to operate it and be familiar with it. Uh, we're kind of driven by what the owner wants on scheduling software, but it's usually basic and MS project that we schedule with. Um, but that works well for us. We, we were in the Primavera route when we started for about 10 years, and then we jumped ship from the sure track side of things over to MS Project. That's kind of our default unless an owner demands something, demand something else. What was that? What do you think predicated that move? Our, the owners that we worked for. Um, most of them were familiar with MS Project. They want to see schedules in MS Project. I, I liked sure track the way it read and the way it functioned for me. I liked it a little bit better, but most owners didn't. Right. Mostly because they hadn't taken the time to learn learn the sure track or the primavera there's a steep curve you know and the ms project is a little bit easier to pick yep. up so is sure track a construct was it is its basis construction or were they was there initially used something besides construction for uh, primavera and sure track i'm quite sure it was it was based around construction i don't know that for positive but one of the authors of it of the Primavera and the Sure Track, especially the Sure Track. I think Primavera goes into a lot of other fields, but Sure Track is for construction mostly. One of those authors is a was one of my professors at BYU, and so he he actually came over to the company way back when, and he certified the whole company and taught us all how to run Sure Track, and then that lasted for about two years, and we jumped ship. But, <laughs> well, but MS but, Project is pretty easy to use. Yeah, but the capabilities of SureTrack is probably much greater. It's like AutoCAD. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's immense capabilities. And and I know I thought it was just like, well, that must be how they schedule movies. They got <laughs> they they got to be using Primavera to do movies and and other really complicated scheduling. Because you have a million tasks that you yeah. follow. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of track down to the the bean, I guess, if you have to. And again, I mean, that just kind of drives into the fact that it changes regularly. And while you might have something that's like a better software overall for you, you end up using what the owner wants to use or, you know, because it's easier for them to understand and they don't have to put much time into it. And so that's just how it works. To be a little adaptable. You've got, how many schools going up in Northern Utah? There's like a big deal, right? You guys got three or four schools this year? Yeah, yeah we've got f four high schools under construction right now. And that's the first time it's ever been slept to? A single general in the yeah, wild. Yeah. Well, I think ever. I don't think, I don't think there's ever been a time. So these are the four largest um, high schools that are under construction. They're all hovering around the 75 million range, and we've got four of them that are under construction right now. And that's never, as a general, had that that much of the market share in Utah. Are um, they? There's different districts, correct? Yeah. That's all. Four of those are in a different district. Each one is e each of those four. Yeah, there's there's a lot more than four districts in Utah, but each of those four high schools are in their they're, own they're district. They're in separate districts. Separate districts. One, one of them one of them's clear out in 
in Vernal, which is three or four hours away from the Wasatch Front, away from Provo. Then we've got one in Salt Lake, one in Provo, and then one in another one in Utah County in Lehigh. I'm I'm going to guess that the reason no general contractors ever had four is there was no general contractor capable of doing four because the districts, you know, I mean, you're going to post a bond, you're going to the districts are just going to go with the best number and the best deal. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's precisely what it is. I mean, that's that's what we like to to think. It's there's not been anybody capable of doing it in the past. Well, well time will tell whether we'll, you guys we'll are see. capable or not, right? You know, we're, we we one of the four closes out this summer. Okay. So and it's on track to close out and it's closing out strong. The, the other one of them is a one year into a three year project and the second two are just kicking off this year we hope for the best man that's awesome and, and those so those are four projects that take a lot of a lot of work and they make up a big percentage of our work but like for school for the school sector of our company we probably have probably 30 projects you know those four that make up the majority of it but another 25 or so either remodels or or elementaries that are smaller in scope and schools make up about just about half of our of what we do total workload are those schools in utah are they prevailing wage no no it's interesting as a union contractor to see how things go in elsewhere in the country and that one of the schools that, that i mentioned earlier our our ductwork contractor for, for one of the one of the technology i think it's adobe that's going in and they're they're they have a bigger budget they're paying the guys two dollars over scale and then giving them 60 hours a week so it, it's not a hard a hard thing to figure out where the the men are going to go work they're going to chase some money so so you've got a lot of schools i mean then you said that's that's kind of part of your big thing mm -hmm. church work or religious work is that another big portion of your business yeah those are our two main sectors we're doing a lot of in the medical field right now um, we've got a couple of hospital remodels and then uh, clinics for IHC which is our healthcare provider in Utah, in Utah. Um, so we're, we're getting into that field and you know we we hope we're gonna be successful it's a hard one a hard field to jump into but it wasn't very long ago when we tried to get into school work and everybody laughed at us and now, now we're the premier in Utah the premier builder for schools in Utah I don't. I just can't think the schools are all that tough to build. They're not. It's just it's all just the regulatory paperwork that you got to jump through. But when it comes down to building, they're pretty simple. Well, I think we figured that out in a hurry. That's why we're we're still in them. They're they're pretty easy. They don't have a lot of room to to miss a schedule date because you got a school that's got to start in August. It's a school year in Utah. I don't know what it is here, but in August they got to be ready to go. And. You know, if you're not making that deadline, you got to figure out a way to work some overtime. If or you're not making stretch. your units a measure, right? <laughs> you know what? We've actually it's been real successful having those units in place measurements because we'll sit down every week with our subs and go over it. And and, and another funny thing, you, you tell in a hurry what subs you mentioned about the the masons not knowing how much they do. How that that bothers you? Well, we'll see exactly what kind of a sub they are. If that's a surprise to them, you know they're they're sloppy and scattered. I mean. We, we had one guy, our, our estimator, our project engineer, he took off, off all the units in place and he took it off as a double width wall. So he, he had twice the units of block for the entire building. So we kept telling them they're, they're about 50% behind. They got to pick it up and they'd throw more guys on it. They just bought right into it. And then, <laughs> not until the end did they realize, or did we all realize it was just you doubled the amount. a takeoff error. He got done in time though. <laughs> done ahead of schedule, man. But but he didn't know know you know heads for tails and well enough to know that we were up in the night. They weren't tracking that either. <laughs> so it, you you get to see which subs are, are real competent when you work with them on that level. Boy, well I don't, I've never been yelled at for not meeting my units and measures, so I guess that's a good thing. Units in place. Units in place. There you go. I keep going to take off. I'm estimating units to measure measure units. From there. We talked about Bluebeam. We talked about some of your scheduling software. Is there anything that you've seen lately that like blows your mind or that you think is going to just change the construction industry, technology-wise or anything-wise? 
Well, it's, it's not real lately, but I think the 3D modeling and the BIM systems are, are going to take over real quick. Every project we do is modeled in a 3D model and in BIM, do all the clash detection, and it, it's pretty... You see the value of that. Oh, yeah. We, we have a subcontractor that pays for it. It's not required by spec, but he pays for it on this high school. He's a, our mechanical sub, and it's about a, a hundred grand. And he figures he saves a lot more than a hundred grand. It's worth it for him to pay to have the model made. And, and all his model pretty much just double checks the architect and the engineers the way they have things routed, and just to find out clashes. So that's that three D modeling is kind of the way to go. If if you model it up to a high enough level, your three D modeler. You can, you know, point and click, and it'll tell you how many studs or how many gallons of paint you're going to use on a project. Right. Well, yeah, you go right into the wall. You can see, you know, for this room, there's so many pieces of drywall, and here's all your. Let's look at the studs, and let's look at the electrical, and let's look at everything it's, else that goes into that. It's pretty amazing. It's and, and it's starting to be used to that level. A, a little bit more, but it's. I think that's. That's the way it's going to, going to go, and then, then of course you've got the, you can go in and. And photograph everything. Oh, the high def photography. You guys run into any of this on your projects yet? Not yet. I, th I think New Zealand we're going to. So I so I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of engineering news record and whatnot. They talk about some of these. Like they'll take in a high density camera, take pictures of everything. Well, some of the problems that you know they're just talking about and, and is like, are they going to have people going back eventually and be like, oh hey, guess what? You didn't have enough screws in that one piece of drywall because it was supposed to be every so many inches and you'd skipped one here or whatever. Like, they'll have that level of stuff that you could run up against. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a great thing for safety. It's a great thing for a lot of different reasons. But it's just one more thing you got to think about. You know, <laughs> you're going to have to cover your butt because just do it right the first time. What That's was right. that subcontract we ran into a couple of weeks ago? Exactly per specification? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly per specification. I just crossed off. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, give me a break. I mean, that's like, we're going to get you. Because <laughs> you didn't do it exactly. Yes. So, well, from there, Ryan, we appreciate you coming in. Sorry to take you away from your family for about an hour or more. But uh, really glad to see you. Glad you could come down and visit us here. Hope you're getting ready to go to Disneyland have a good time over there. Should have fun. Oh, I think so. Um, you got great weather. Yeah. It's supposed to be blazing hot tomorrow. Oh, well, there you go. Like 90. 90 degrees, yeah. It'd be like being back in the ski. From there, you know, we wish you guys the best. Good luck in New Zealand. I'll be interested to keep up with you and kind of see how things are going over there. Maybe we'll see you there. You never know. Yeah, we, you know, we'll bid it. You sent us the plans. We'll definitely bid it for you. But that's, I mean, one of the things you were, I think we were talking about that. Like, one of the requirements is they want you to use local people. They, you can. they do, yep. And I think the church typically would like to if they could. But sometimes you run into these situations like Kinshasa where it's like you're not going to find anybody that can perform the work. But I, I'm afraid in New Zealand there, those we're going to be able to find them, so I'm not going to be, be bringing too many from the States. Right. But it is what it is. There'll still be different technologies in New Zealand. There are. <clears throat> yeah, I'd be interested. Just like there's different technologies in Europe. You know, so there'll be different technologies in New Zealand, which will be interesting. It's, it's already been fun. Especially on the structure, it's a seismic upgrade, so there's a lot of different way to look at a structure. The New Zealand engineers versus our, our, our in this case, our Utah Wasatch Front engineers. You know, Ryan's our first internationalist. So far, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this guy, he's going to be able to, the wealth of knowledge you have, Ryan, when you work in all these different places, and you're going to be able to pick up technologies that will that'll go over to other places. The bottle, like the jack. bottle jack. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Take that to New Zealand if you can't figure out how else to do it. That's right. But uh, that's true. And uh, you, it's, again, I think a lot of that comes from working for, uh, not to say that Lesson is a small company, but like I say, you've grown with the company. And so you've had these opportunities to go out and, and see a lot of these things. And, uh, but again, it always comes back to people. It's like with us. Oh, it's so amazing! You get to go to Columbia. You get to go do all this stuff. It's like you realize what you were doing for the most of the time you're there. It's not as beautiful of a picture as it seems to be. Nope. Well, in one sense, it's still the same thing. It's I'm working. just building. I'm working mm -hmm. somewhere else. That's not <laughs> me. 
We had a general contractor. We were doing some restoration work, and he said, "Oh, do you do a lot of restoration work?" I said, "No." And he got this like, "Oh, oh," you know. I said, "Hey, look it. It's just painting. It's surface preparation and application of coatings." And he was like, "Oh, yeah, I guess it is." Now, to clarify that, that restoration job was like one of the biggest restoration jobs in the United States at the time for a very well historically renowned building down in San Diego, and. Uh, just the amount of work that went into even developing that spec, you know, and then they bring us in and, oh, do you do a lot of restoration work? Chris says, no. <laughs> it's like, the guy's just like, what? But we performed the work. They were extremely happy with it. I mean, it was not anything, you know. They're the talking top. about having us come down and take care of it. Yeah. Again, talking about the architect, you know, this one, they have these, these great wooden windows up in the middle of nowhere, and how do you get to them? You know, they don't have access available. We thought about bringing in a lift. We'll come to find out the floor doesn't hold this weight of the lift. Nice. And uh, how do you get there? Well, could we come off the top? Oh, well, the parapet wall is like three inches tall. <laughs> you know, it's like there's nothing. There's nowhere. And so we've been trying to figure out how we're going to do this. And it's going to come down to having to put up scaffolding. So uh, as you're designing these buildings, if any architect or architect in training ever thinks about this, you know, think about how you're going to maintain this building and how it's going to be built. Because we're the guys that don't get to deal with that. Of course, they didn't maintain it for 50 years. That's true. Well, the, that, that just takes you back to the, at the time. You know, like, what was the idea? You're just going to put a big ladder up there, hang a guy from a rope, and have him do the work, maybe? I don't know. But I really don't think they... At, at, it's the Salk Institute, and I don't think they thought about taking care of it. And they, it was all concrete and teak. Concrete, teak, stainless steel. Pretty durable, durable materials, wow. right? And I don't think they thought about, like, oh, well, we're going to have to do something sometime down the road. So, Well, Ryan, good luck in the future. Thank you. And uh, hopefully at some point, even if we don't come over to work, I'm going to have to come visit you in New Zealand, yeah. just say I went to New Zealand. Test out the fly rod. So, <laughs> figure it out. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody.